says this, Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Sarah's going to come in a, in a second to, um, to, to teach us from that passage. Uh, let's, let's pray for Sarah before she comes. Father, thank you uh, for Sarah. Thank you for um, the gifts in, in teaching that you have uh, given to her. And I pray that now you would use her uh, as your mouthpiece to, to speak to us this morning. pray that you'd uh, encourage us, you'd challenge us, and that we would, uh, we would hear your voice uh, speak to us through her today. Amen. Just going to um, refine the Bible passage that my husband tried to hinder me by closing my Bible. Um, just as we continue in our series looking at Daniel this morning, which uh, has been called Homeless, so the sense of Daniel and the other characters that we're going to be looking at this morning being taken from their home to a new land in which they found themselves homeless, I thought it would just be worth for a few seconds just really um, reminding ourselves of the Night Shelter initiative that we're going to be involved starting from this week. <laughs> Dave's just got fed up with me already, yeah, turning that off. Um, <laughs> so this week, uh, there are many people this morning, uh, James, sorry, it's because I was thinking about Dave, I just called you Dave. <laughs> Um, so Dave, do you want to give us a little wave? Uh, is heading up, along with many others from our Elijah team, the Night Shelter um, Initiative, which is lots of different churches coming together across the city to provide care for a number of homeless people for six weeks for six weeks um, and as a church we have committed to doing that every Wednesday evening so at Riverside House which is our kind of office and uh, rehearsal space venue uh, for our performing arts team which is in Moseley every Wednesday evening we are going to be opening up Riverside House to a bunch of homeless guys who are going to come along be fed have a bed for the night um, shower provided and then breakfast in the morning it's just a fantastic thing that we can do to really uh, bless people who are homeless across our city I know that many people have already signed Signed up to help out with that. But if you are here this morning and you do feel like you have got some time to give on a Wednesday evening over the next six weeks, then I'm sure Dave would love to hear from you. Or even if you just want to hear a little bit more about how you can be praying, how you can be really supporting guys in that way over the next six weeks, then please do speak to Dave because it is a really fantastic way of um, serving our local community in a really practical way. Um, so we are going to continue this morning looking at our series on the book of Daniel. And last week, Harry uh, began by looking at chapter 3. I know many people were on the Women's Weekend away, but chapter 3 is the quite famous story of the fiery furnace. So the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego finding themselves uh, with this ultimatum, you do this, if you don't do it, you're going to find yourselves thrown into the fiery furnace. Now... Along with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken from their land of Judah as captives and brought to Babylon. And as they arrived in Babylon, they found, as we've heard over the last few weeks, so many of their external circumstances changed. And in a lot of ways, those external circumstances were changed to try and change them. 
Because these were men of faith. These were men who believed in an incredible God who they served faithfully throughout the first years of their lives. For all of them, for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of their names were changed. We look right at the beginning of the book of Daniel that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were originally called um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these were names that reflected the God that they served. They meant Yahweh is gracious. Who is like God? Yahweh has helped. Names that they carried with them, knowing the meaning of the God that they served. And yet they found themselves in this new land where even their names were changed. And they were given new names which reflected the gods of the society which they then found themselves living in. So many of their external circumstances were changed. But actually they had a hope that they found in God that couldn't be changed, no matter how much the external things around them were or whatever journey and path they found themselves on. And as I was looking at this talk and looking at this passage, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, it just reminded me of that sense of, for some of us here this morning, we're probably on paths that we didn't choose to be on, or we're in places that right now we thought we wouldn't find ourselves in. And actually, what an amazing passage this is for us to look at as we think about the truth that these are guys who were in that position as well, in a place, a path, circumstances that they never chose to find themselves on. And the hope that they found in God, they found because of the incredible faith that they had in their God. Their faith gave them something so much bigger to hold on to, even when they were facing the worst circumstances. And if you're anything like me, sometimes when I read about characters like this in the Bible or stories like this in the Bible, it can almost make me feel a little bit inadequate in my own faith. Because I can think, well, how is my faith? How would I react if I was faced with these circumstances? You know, we live in a society where there are so many TV programs where even More Side, which was on recently that I know lots of people watch, and there's one of the main characters who says over and over again, we've just got to keep the faith. We've got to keep the faith. And then some of the other characters kind of struggling with, whoa, I don't know if I can believe in what you're telling me to believe in. There was a quote by quite a famous American female singer a few years ago, and she said, if your faith is big enough, God will get it, so don't stress. And probably for all of us, we have examples maybe in our own lives or in the lives of those around us where we actually can feel the sense that maybe our faith wasn't big enough. Maybe we haven't got enough faith to change this circumstance as we'd want it to. And so maybe we pray a bit more loudly so that God really hears what we're trying to say. Maybe we pray for longer using more fancy words. Or maybe actually we just give up from the circumstance we're praying for, we're believing for, or maybe we ultimately just give up on God. But I think the beautiful thing about this story and the passage that John has read to us this morning is that actually Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego give us a fantastic pointer and a hope that is far greater than saying your faith has to be big enough for God to get it. They give us a pointer of a faith that isn't based on how big our faith is or how fantastically close to God we feel. Because they give us a hope of an unchanging, constant faith which even in the midst of standing to the point that they know they might be facing death, they could say, even if God doesn't save us from this fiery furnace, even if today is the day that we die, we still will not compromise the things that we believe and bow down to the golden statue that you're asking us to. 
And actually, that's a pretty amazing thing for them to have said, because it wasn't like they were there saying, we refuse to bow down to this statue, and they had a whole church community behind them going, yeah, come on, we're praying for you, great, take a stand. Actually, they made that stand, and they said, even if God does not save us, we still won't bow down. When they were surrounded by a whole nation who were bowing down, who were saying, yes, Nebuchadnezzar, we will bow down, we will worship your golden statue, that they made that choice to say, we will stand out from the crowd. Because they knew that faith wasn't based in their own aims or their own outcomes. Faith wasn't based in the outcome that they wanted. And I was thinking as I was kind of reading this passage, you know, if I had been faced with the same situation, the same circumstances of the fiery furnace story that we've read, what would I have prayed? If I'd been with my prayer triplet and we'd sat down, maybe I would have prayed that the image would have got destroyed, that we'd woken up in the morning and some amazing storm had come along and knocked the image down so no one could bow down to it. Maybe I would have prayed that Nebuchadnezzar had had a change of heart and he had overnight realised what an awful thing he was asking the nation to do. Maybe I would have prayed that the fiery furnace would have failed to light, that there would have been no furnace so no one could have been thrown into it. And none of these things are wrong things to pray. You know, we're told in the Bible to pray specifically and to pray for circumstances and situations that we would love to see happen. But actually... It's an example that it's not our job to have faith in our own plans and our own outcomes. Because actually, we can pray knowing that we can have faith in God, trusting him in all circumstances and in all situations. Because Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, in that famous statement they delivered of saying, even if, said that they had a belief in God that didn't depend on one particular outcome. They acknowledged and said, yes, we know our God can save us. And I bet you that was their prayer. I bet at that moment they were praying and saying, God, please save us. But they also said, even if he doesn't, we still will not compromise the faith that we have. And we know the amazing ending of the story that it says that the king looked into the furnace and he saw someone look like a son of the gods, an angel who was there and he protected them and he saved them. But at this point, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego declared that they would still go to the fiery furnace even if God did not save them, they didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't have some sort of uh, premonition of the angel. Maybe they did, but it doesn't say that here. We don't know that. They said, even if... God does not save us, we still will not believe and bow down to your statue. Because their confidence lay in God rather than in an attachment to one thing that they thought should happen. I remember growing up, we had a family friend who said to us that she walked away from her faith when she was younger because when she first had a baby, she had a baby quite young, someone said to her, you really need to pray with greater faith that your baby will sleep through the night because then you're going to find this much easier. And because she wasn't sleeping through the night and because uh, our family friend was on the end of her kind of self on her knees crying out with sleep deprivation, she genuinely felt that she had failed because her faith wasn't big enough. And so she walked away. And she said it wasn't until many years later when her own daughter had a baby that she realised, do you know what? It's not about me having faith that says, God, make my baby sleep through the night. It's me having faith to say, God, please make my baby sleep through the night. But I know even if she doesn't, you are standing with me. 
And in my sleep deprivation and at the end of myself, it talks of your everlasting arms that are holding me, that I can fall into your arms and cry when it all feels too much. And amazingly, she came back to faith uh, through seeing her own child with her daughter. And many of us can be in similar thought patterns, can't we? I bet for many of us here, we can think of our own personal stories or other people that we know where maybe they've prayed, if I'm not healed, if this circumstance doesn't come true, if this thing doesn't happen. And then when maybe it doesn't, the outcome that we want to happen doesn't, we're left with two options. Either the God that we believe in is inadequate and can't do the things that we ask him to do, or actually our own faith is weak and insufficient and then in itself can end up us turning away from God. Tim Keller was quoted in a book that he wrote as saying, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. You know, in the Bible it says we can have faith as small as a mustard seed, and yet we can still see great things happening. Because it isn't the strength of our faith, it isn't about us, Actually, it's about the fact we serve and we believe in an almighty God who does have the strength to save us and that we can trust him, that those outcomes might not be the outcomes that we always want, but we can trust him because he is so much bigger than anything that we know. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew their God could save them, but they also had a hope and a faith in the same God knowing that they could hold on to an unswerving belief that whatever God ordained was right. We can believe and pray for what we know or what we want to be right, but we have something even deeper than that, knowing that we don't always know best and that God is there and that we can hold on to him. C.S. Lewis really famously, when um, he became a Christian, was quoted as saying that he was one of the most reluctant converts uh, that uh, he had heard of. And he says the night that he became a Christian, he said, I gave in and finally admitted that God was God. He said there wasn't that sense of, wow, everything's turned around in my life. Wow, there's been a fantastic revelation of how wonderful everything's going to be. Or I've had this amazing answer to prayer on amazing healing. He just said simply, I realized God was God. And that was all I needed to know. Because just as much as faith is not found in our own outcomes and our own goals and aims, faith is also not found in our feelings. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were men. They were human beings, normal men. And sometimes we can read stories like this and we can think, wow, these were giants, these were incredible people. But do you know what? They were people just like you and me. People who'd been given a leadership responsibility they probably didn't even want because they were taken from their home, put in Babylon and given this responsibility that maybe they wouldn't have even asked for. So probably in the midst of that moment when they first heard that they should be bowing down to a statue, then in that moment where they had to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and say, no, we will not bow down to that statue, they were probably scared, they were probably angry, they were probably terrified. But as Tim Keller goes on to say in his book, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out and believing what truth is despite what you feel. Let's read that again. Faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out and believing what truth is, despite what you feel. And when I first read that, I thought, wow, that's a bit tough. That feels like a bit of a punch to the gut of, come on, pull yourself together, Sarah, when you're feeling a little bit wobbly. But actually, there's an amazing, beautiful comfort in that, pass in that quote as well. 
I think about some of the darkest times that I've walked through and we've walked through as a family. And one in particular, we'd had a, a situation that had happened in our family that had been heartbreaking. And two days later, I was speaking at my friend's wedding. And I remember just saying to another person that we knew who was going to be there, I just can't do it. I can't stand up in a church and speak at someone's wedding when I feel so brokenhearted. And they just simply said to me, Sarah, today isn't about how you feel. Today is about you just speaking the words. And you don't have to feel on top of the world. Actually, you can just speak them out, and that will help root the truth of what you're saying in your own life. And there was something really comforting in that as well. Because actually, as human beings, our feelings change, our emotions go high, our emotions go low. Sometimes we have great days, sometimes we have days where we're on our knees and we don't know how we're going to get through the day. But the beautiful thing that's found in this quote is actually saying that despite what we feel, we have a God who doesn't fluctuate. We have a God who doesn't change. We have someone who walks with us on this life, who says, on the days when you're on your knees, I will be on my knees with you. On the days when you're rejoicing, you've got your arms in the air, I'll be beside you rejoicing with my arms in the air. Because God doesn't change, and he doesn't fluctuate. He is that one constant present in our life who promises to be with us regardless of how we're feeling and regardless of whether we feel that he is close or not. The truth is, he says he is. And actually, when we have faith that is based on feelings, and I've seen this in so many of my friends, is actually we can kind of feed into that lie that Christians shouldn't have problems. Because actually, if you're a Christian, life is great. You've got God with you. Nothing should ever go wrong. And again, that can cause more battering, which makes people turn away from their faith. Because there's the assumption that if we suddenly hit problems, actually maybe God has left us. Maybe he doesn't care for us. And yet we can look at the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who must have stood there scared, terrified, not knowing what was going to happen. And yet they said, if we are thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. If they thought you never had problems... In that moment when they were told to bow down to this golden statue, they would have bowed down, wouldn't they? Because it would have meant, actually, there's no way we're going to get out of this. We're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But they knew life isn't always going to be easy. Sometimes there will be tough things that we're faced with. And it's not about saying, I'm a Christian, so it's going to be brilliant. It's about saying, I'm a Christian, and I know that I've got Jesus standing with me in the midst of this path that I walk along. I remember coming to Birmingham almost 20 years ago as a very, very enthusiastic student on the Riverside Performing Arts course that we run here, uh, which is a one-year performing arts training course. And I had, had recently become a Christian while I was studying drama at university. And we did a big outreach event over at our Mosley site. Um, and Nick Cuthbert, who is the founding pastor of our church, had said, oh, you know, who wants to give a test to me this evening? Because I was part of the drama team, there was a big group of us, and I was like, yes, me, brilliant. And I got up at the front, and there was Nick, and he gave me the microphone, he was like, so Sarah, tell me, how is it since you've become a Christian? And I really remember standing there with my microphone thinking, this is my moment, and I just declared down the microphone, oh, it's brilliant, life is fantastic, I never have any problems anymore, I'm always so happy, it is just great. And poor Nick's face, you could just tell in that moment, he thought, why did I ask this person to do this testimony? And he tried to backtrack and he tried to kind of eke out of me, but sometimes you have problems as well, don't you, Sarah? But I was so enthusiastic and I was going for it and I just thought everything was fantastic, that that just wasn't truth in my life. 
Unfortunately, as I grew and I developed and I kind of went further on in my relationship with God, by the time some really big, tough stuff did happen, I had a different perspective on maybe what it meant to walk through the tough stuff, that life wasn't always going to be great. And that's not saying that it was easy, but it was saying that actually it's a different place to be in. Many of you might remember back in 2005 the really horrific story of the murder of a young lad called Anthony Walker, which was a racially motivated attack on an 18-year-old lad. And Anthony Walker was very much in the press known as a Christian. He came from a Christian family. And this was something the press really latched onto as a, we're going to put this family under the spotlight. We're going to see what it actually means to them to live this life that they say they have in the midst of a really tragic circumstance. Uh, And G. Walker, who was Anthony Walker's mum, famously made the news towards the end of the trial where she came out of the courtroom having sat through another harrowing day of evidence. And it was like the press finally couldn't cope and contain themselves anymore. And a reporter pounced on her and said, but can you forgive them? Can you forgive these people who did this horrific act to your son? And she very famously answered, do I forgive them? At the point of death, Jesus said, I forgive them because they don't know what they did. I've got to forgive them. I still forgive them. It's the hardest single thing I have to do every day of my life. It's painful and it hurts. But my family and I stand by what we believe, forgiveness. It's hard, hard going, but I feel justice has been done and I'm sure they will get the maximum sentence. And what I really love about what she said is that she didn't say, I forgive them. Because of my faith, because I love Jesus, I forgive them. Now, that is what she said, but then she went on to say so beautifully, but this is painful, and this is tough, and this is one of the hardest things I have to do. There was just such a realness about her feelings, that she was open about how she felt, she was open about her brokenness, and yet she was also open about the fact that she knew her faith ultimately didn't have to lie in her feelings. As we look at the passage, and a little bit further on in the passage, we can look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and actually the actions that they took ended up being actions that changed a whole nation. Reading on later in chapter 3 from uh, John's read to us earlier, Nebuchadnezzar brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace, and he says to them, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces. He didn't quite get it at that point, I don't think. It's great that he told the nation that they should turn their hearts to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but there was obviously still quite a bit of work to be done, not to be chopping people up who didn't necessarily believe in it. But actually, they did. They went on to change a nation because of what they did. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar was blown away by the fact that an angel came and saved them from the fiery furnace, but the only reason they were in that furnace in the first place was because they had the faith to say, even if we end up dying, we still will not bow down to this statue, because the easiest thing for them would have been to bow down to that statue. But the really beautiful thing that I just wanted to read is later on in chapter 4, just before Nebuchadnezzar died. And it was this moment where actually you just read of the beautiful faith that he did find in the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where he said, 
At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and praised God the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he goes on to just declare this beautiful praise, this beautiful prayer of praise. Because actually the actions of three men not only changed a nation, but they fundamentally impacted and changed the life of this one man. And he knew with assurance that he would go and be with God. And looking at the story of G. Walker, off the back of the trial and the guys who were given the maximum sentence for murder, she went on and set up the Anthony Walker Foundation with her family. Her story is taught now in many schools uh, in a GCSE syllabus which is a beautiful thing. And the Anthony Walker Foundation works to bring about racial harmony uh, between communities uh, around the area where Anthony lived. Doing fantastic work, changing a community, changing hearts, using the most tragic of circumstances to say, but in this, we are still going to let God be at work because he is God. Because ultimately, faith isn't found in our own outcomes. Faith isn't based on our own feelings because faith is found at the cross. We didn't have a God who stood far away from us, who was removed, who was distant. We had a God who sent, or we have a God who sent his son Jesus down to be part of our world, to understand this world that we live in, that we walk on, who came close to us so that we could be in intimate relationship with him. There's such a beautiful example of the things that we're talking about this morning when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So knowing that he was at a point where he was about to go to a cross to be crucified. And in Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What a beautiful example of Jesus, God's own Son, saying, My feelings right now please take this away from me. I can't do this. The outcome I would love right now is for you to take this cup away from me. But yet, not as I will, as you will. The beautiful example of Jesus, God's son, saying, I get this. I get what you're walking through. But ultimately, what you can have faith in is found at the cross. Because for each of us here, we might not have the miraculous story that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had. In our circumstances, in our darkest places, where our prayers are on our knees asking for things to happen, we might not see an angel sent down to walk amongst us in the fiery furnace. But ultimately, for each one of us here, we do have a miraculous rescue story. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for every single thing that each one of us will ever do wrong so that we can be in relationship with our loving, eternal God forever and ever in heaven. And our miraculous rescue story might not happen this side of heaven, but the incredible miraculous rescue story we do have is that every single one of us, once we give our lives to God, know that it's not about this earth. It's about forever and eternity with God, standing, singing God's praise for endless days as we sang about already this morning. Because this world is temporary, And actually, we can look to this rescue that we have up in heaven, where there will be no sadness, no more pain, no more sickness. Uh, A number of years ago, I worked for a short period of time over in Colorado, and I went to a church there. And uh, in the church, they were given a time of testimony, and a man stood up, and he said, I wanted to come and give my testimony of how my wife was healed from cancer. And there was lots of weeping and rejoicing, 
And as he continued to speak, continued to say his story, the one thing that you noticed really obviously was that his wife was not stood beside him. And we couldn't obviously see anyone who looked like his wife. And he simply said at the end of his story, as he had spoken of their relationship and spoken of her struggles with cancer, he said, and on Christmas Eve last year, my wife was healed by being taken to heaven forever to live with Jesus. And it was a massive story that impacted me because I just thought, what an incredible way of looking at it, that so often we almost belittle heaven and we belittle what we have. But for that man in his own grief, in his own pain of not having his wife stood beside him, he could rejoice that for her, she now is in heaven forever with her God. There's a quote in a book that looks at the uh, story of Daniel that Brian Chappell wrote. And I just wanted to finish with this quote because it's just a beautiful quote to really help us remember that faith doesn't have to be found in our outcomes. Faith doesn't have to be found in our feelings. Actually, faith can be found on the cross. And it says, When our fake focus remains on the cross, our faith will not waver. When troubles come and human answers fail, such faith does not depend on emotional intensity, on knowing what should happen, or on a certainty of what God will do. True biblical faith trusts that God knows and is doing what is right because he gave us Jesus. And just to each one of us this morning, even in reading that quote, you might think, but I don't have that. But do you know what you do? Because even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, actually God says that's enough faith. And right now, if you feel far removed from God, that's okay. Because the truth is God is still with you. And he won't leave you. Even if you've been praying for one outcome, actually, we can trust. God has got it. It's not about don't stress if your faith's big enough. It's actually about saying it's okay if you stress. Because there are people who will pray with you, support you, and love you. But know that God has got it. And Ben and the worship bands are going to just sing over us, really, a song of response. And as they do, I just encourage you, maybe in this time, just to reflect on the things that we thought about this morning. Reflect on the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Reflect on that sense that even if what I'm feeling isn't happening, or what I'd like to feel isn't happening, even if this outcome of something that I'd love to see happen hasn't happened, actually you can still know that God is with you and that he doesn't let you go and that he walks with you. And we're going to have a chance for prayer as well and uh, Ben will lead us into when that's going to happen. But there will be people at the back who would just love to sit with you, to pray with you, to remind you that even with faith as small as a mustard seed, you can have the trust and assurance in a hope that God is with you. And maybe if you're here this morning and you've not yet made that decision to say, yeah, I want to know this God in my life, this could be the morning that you do it. Will you take that massive step of faith that says, I don't even know if I've got faith as small as a mustard seed, but I'd love to take that step towards knowing that. I'd love to say, God, thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me on a cross, knowing that you want to be with me forever in eternity.